0: Hey, Father Sam. He's on his phone. He's waiting. I'm waiting. Hi, Matt. Um, I'm here. I made it. Can you tell me?
1: No, it's a secret. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and that's our show, folks. <laughs> <laughs> We've
0: it would be the shortest episode. I <laughs> um, can you? I, I want. I want to know two things. Okay. The first thing I want to know is your thoughts about St. Jose Maria Escrivá. Okay. The second thing that comes to mind is, can you just share like a glory story with me? An example. Have you ever experienced something like unbelievably miraculous? Have you ever seen somebody healed
1: in person? Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, Can I start with the first one? Yeah. Okay. St. Jose Maria Escrivá is actually not a saint who I know a tremendous amount about. Mm -hmm. I've not really spent much time on his on his life. I know Mm -hmm. that he was a Spanish priest. Uh, and I know that he's the founder of Opus Dei, and I have read the Way and the Forge and the Furrow. I yeah, believe the, is the, the other tr- one. The, the, yeah, that's true. I've never read the Furrow, but I've I've read the Way and the Forge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um,
0: you just called it quits on the Furrow.
1: <laughs> yeah, I just I just never made it there. Uh, but it's these pithy, very very quick little yeah. You know, like one, oh no, I, I know basically it. Yeah. They're really good. Um, I, I think there's a tremendous amount of spiritual insight. And I agree with you. I think Jose Maria Escriva is sort of the, the natural conclusion of Saint Francis de Sales. Okay. So Francis de Sales was this great bishop. Yeah. Uh, he reformed the clergy of his diocese, but he also he wrote he wrote uh, Introduction to the Devout Life. Yes. Yeah. Which I have never
0: read, but I have been told is a book that every Catholic should read.
1: In in a lot of ways, Introduction to the Devout Life and what Saint Francis de Sales articulates is something that Jose Maria Escriva simply picked up. Really? And and he that was a baton that he picked up and he carried and and he ran with it to say wow. that in fact pursuing holiness of life and sanctifying your your daily activity is the responsibility of all people. Regardless of who you are, your state in life, if you're if you're a bishop, if you're a priest, if you're a father yeah. and a farmer, uh, if you're if you're a, a lady at home, if you're a wealthy noblewoman, it doesn't matter who you are, you've got a responsibility to strive for holiness. I mean, this
0: was a big theme at Vatican II.
1: Exactly. So I think Francis de Sales was already long ago articulating this. It was understood already in the life of the church. Mm. And then Jose Maria Escriva picks it up at a time when that that idea of, yeah, it it kind of gotten forgotten. And the the sense of in order to be a saint, the only way is for me to be a priest or to be a nun. Those are the special people that God has chosen. And the rest of us are just kind of left to our own devices, hoping we don't end up in hell. And Jose Maria says, "No, no, no, no. That's that's not the case. Yeah. Uh, in fact, you can sanctify your work. You, you, the daily labors that you have can be an offering to God that lead to your sanctification, um, that help you to become holy, and that transform the world. And so, he really wanted to involve the laity in this in this apostolate and in this daily seeking after holiness. Well." He starts this with Opus Dei, which which begins before the Second Vatican Council, right? And then the Second Vatican Council rolls around, and at Vatican II, central to the the central document of the, of Vatican II, and I will stand on that hill and fight that Lumen Gentium, yes, the Dogmatic Constitution is, yeah. of the Church, is the central document of the entire council. Not De Verba. No. No, Verbum* De- Verbum's important, don't get me wrong. Right. There's the four, I mean, they're all important. The four major constitutions uh, right. are, are all important. So you have the, the first one that comes out, which is uh, on, on the liturgy, uh, mm-hmm. and then Lumen Gentium, De Verbum, and Gaudium et Spes. Right. Um, so Sacrosanum Concilium on the liturgy is important because it's, it's highlighting that the Eucharist is the source and summit of our of our faith, mm-hmm. but it's the church's self-understanding. The church's understanding of, of herself uh, so Dave, uh, Lumen Gentium rather articulating how the church understands what the church is on a theological level. Right. Is expressing this. And I think it is it is at the heart of everything else. And at the heart of that document is the chapter on the universal call to holiness. Right. That all people, because of their baptism, by virtue of having been born again into life in Christ are called to be holy. And this is what St. Uh, Jose Maria Escriva is, is teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, it is entirely in line with, with his teaching. It's entirely in line with what St. Francis de Sales taught a few centuries earlier. And it's entirely in line with everything actually that the whole church's tradition had, had carried. That as Mother Teresa said, after the council, holiness is not a privilege for just a few. It is the simple responsibility for you and for me. Wow. Yeah. That is. Ballpark. That holiness is not something that's reserved. Holiness is something that all of us can, can achieve. And The I church think,
0: still doesn't know that I think.
1: Am I correct in in, in 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 official documents in what the church teaches? Yes. Has that has that knowledge has that awareness penetrated and become part of the the daily life Maybe of, shouldn't. of that, most probably, people? Maybe I should. I put no. it too strongly. I no, think. but but that's you're actually saying it exactly the right way. Does the church know this? Well, yes and no. Right. The church knows this in in the sense that the church has the capacity to teach. And has the authority to, to teach. Mm-hmm. Uh, the church knows this in the sense that this is part of the deposit of faith that is handed on, that you are called to be holy. Right. Right.
0: Right. People in the church don't know this is what I should right. have said.
1: But if if the church as the body of Christ is made up of many members, then in a certain way, it's true that the church doesn't know this yet. Yeah. This reality, and that's what Jose Maria Escrivo is trying to do. That's what Opus Dei exists for—is to—is yeah. to try to make this known. Opus Dei does not exist to keep albino monks um, hunting <laughs> down <laughs> secret treasures and and fighting off archaeologists who come to find it. Um, right? You know, angels and demons and all that stuff. Is this a code. reference to it's the okay. I, was no. like- yeah. uh, uh, I was
0: like, yeah. I was like, what is going on? Yeah,
1: now? no, they have this whole thing about the albino Opus Dei monk uh, who's like, two, oh. which doesn't exist. There's no Opus Dei monks. Um, right. So- that is.
0: <laughs> that is. a whole slew. I mean, that is so there was one
1: description. I remember reading of like in from, from this book, I can't remember what the name of the street was, but it was describing these, uh, the Swiss guard, um, in their, in their black SUVs driving, uh, Right. Very fast down this down this road in Rome, and I'm, one day I'm like walking down the street, and I realize that I'm on that road, and it's cobblestone, and it's narrow as all get out, and barely wide enough right. for an individual car to go by, much less right. the Swiss Guard driving, speeding right. in their in their sleek black SUVs. I'm like, that's just not happening. I'm sorry. There's actually a book from Ignatius called
0: uh, "Decoding the Da Vinci yes. Code." I think. Yeah. It, I mean, didn't it? People got tricked by it. I think actually.
1: Once upon a time, that was it. Was a big thing. Right. Um, and isn't
0: there a thing about like Jesus and Mary Magdalene getting married yeah or something?
1: it's it's basically going into it, every few years there's there's some kind of publicity about like let's talk about the Gnostic Gospels because these are yeah. the Gospels that the church the power that the powers that be didn't want you to know about yeah. and so they tried to they, the it's, powers that be. it's basically a conspiracy theory of right. like let's put on our tinfoil hats and figure out why they decided not to share this information with us instead of realizing that these sources these these books that were deemed non-canonical were deemed non-canonical because they're not reliable sources it's like this this isn't good testimony this is there's something about this that doesn't ring true there's something about this that that's wrong right they're not canonical yeah rejecting rejecting somebody's testimony as false or as unreliable
0: is not the same thing it's not the same thing as hiding
1: something or trying to prevent people from knowing about it saying no this is not reliable testimony right that's all it is so anyway every few years there's a like in scripture it
0: says to test everything oh yeah like scripture itself attests to test
1: every spirit yeah
0: yeah that that form
1: yeah exactly yeah Exactly. Um, all right. So that's, that's pretty much what I know about Jose Maria Scriva. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I'm, uh, I'm in favor. There is a statue of St. Jose Maria Scriva at St. Peter's Basilica, not inside, but outside. Really? Yeah. So outside the Basilica, if you, if you ever have the chance to like get around the, like the back part of the, of the Basilica, mm-hmm. not as easy to access that. You have to have some like somebody, some or some, some place that you're supposed to go. Yeah. Usually yeah. you have to have somebody like guiding you on a tour or something. Um, but there are these outside uh, in the, in the walls of the Basilica, there are these niches for uh, different statues. Mm-hmm. And there's one of Jose Maria Escriva, which is, it's obviously very new since he's a, relatively speaking in the life of the church, he's a new saint. Mm-hmm. Um, but there he is right there at St. at Saint Peter's. Yeah. So he, well,
0: he's cool. so beloved. Yeah. He's a beloved saint. I think a lot of people look to him like a patron very much. Yeah. Um, he personally got me a couple of jobs once. Okay. Yeah. So, you know,
1: that's pretty cool. Yeah,
0: it was pretty, it was pretty crazy. I was saying of Novena in asking for his intercession for getting a job because I needed one. And then he got me three additional piano students. And I think he got me, I think he got me a job at Cardinal Cottonware. That like that was okay. around that time. Yeah, if I'm remembering correctly. See, and I is, started editing it. I started coming on restless too. That was like
1: this is a thing that I I, I think we get too caught up. We we think oh, I shouldn't like why why wouldn't I ask the intercession of saints for, for even simple things in my life like mm-hmm. I need a job. Well, Jose right. Maria Scriv was all about the sanctification of labor. Right, making our work something that that really mattered and that that had a, a more profound spiritual significance for us that Mm -hmm. could be something actually that worked towards our salvation so like why wouldn't we ask for the intercession of these great saints to guide us on that path to help us along the way I think it's the way to go.
0: So the reason that I asked if you had experienced a miracle, yeah, is because I'm deeply interested in spreading the gospel, mm-hmm. and I think that miracle stories and/or testimonies or glory stories—I know I said I said that before, right? But like, I think that they are really great motives of credibility, which is, of, of course, what they were meant to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if I've just like I've known you for so long, and I don't think I've ever asked you that.
1: Hmm.
0: So that's why I asked.
1: Hmm, 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 hmm. Yeah. Uh, I,
0: I said, like, have you seen someone healed? I mean, I don't think, I think most people haven't seen that. Um, so you're yeah. not limited to that. No, no I haven't seen I mean.
1: like a guy like regrow a hand that he had lost 10 years before right. or anything like right. that. Right?
0: I mean, I don't even think that would be how it works.
1: <laughs> I mean, look, let's be real honest. It would be cool.
0: Yeah. Right? Have you like, seen, I, should, I am really showing my true colors here. Actually, I, it was probably pre-conversion, so it's fine. That's not how that works. Have you seen Deadpool? <laughs>
1: I have seen Deadpool. Actually, you know
0: where his hand grows back, but it's like a baby's hand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's exactly the same. Yeah, exactly the same idea.
1: Yeah. Uh, all right. So there are there are more glory stories than I can count, but I'll give you one glory story of just a, a moment where I I saw something profound happening uh, in the in the life of another person where they were encountering Jesus more and more each day. I was serving as chaplain at a Catholic art work camp one summer. I honestly and thought
0: you were going to turn this into a bit and say I was working at chap as a chaplain at Trinity Catholic High School, <laughs> <laughs> and I was going to be like, "Don't
1: do this." <laughs> and there was this kid named Matt Spurza, and man, what a punk! He used to come in and take my Jolly Ranchers. No, <laughs> right. uh, I was I was serving for the uh, for this week as a chaplain at Catholic Art Work Camp, and after Mass one morning, one of the one of the kids came over and she asked me a question about. I don't know, something with with the faith. And so I answered the question. And then later in the afternoon, she came back. She says, thanks for answering that question. That was really helpful. Can I ask you another question? Sure. So the door was open. Now she could ask me a question. Right. The next day comes, she had another question for me uh, during the day. And then she asked me if I could pray for her uh, that day. In the afternoon, she came and Pray had for to, her or for like her. pray over her? Pray for her. For her. Yeah, pray for her. And in the afternoon, she came. She, bold. You, yeah, how, oh, super how, bold. How old? Can I? She was like 15, 16 years wow, old. Bold. Yeah. yeah, she came up to me after. She, did you pray for me? And I said, I said, yeah, I did. Even bolder. Yeah. love that. I said, yeah, I did. <laughs> I did pray for you today. She goes, oh, awesome. Okay. I said, uh, I just really want to like get to know Jesus, and I feel like I've never had that chance. Mm. And I said, well, pay attention tonight, because I knew that that evening we were going to have an opportunity for adoration. Mm. So there we are, we're going to have this opportunity for adoration. So I explain adoration to the kids. This is what we're going to do. We bring out the blessed sacrament. The kids are in this gymnasium. We've got the blessed sacrament up on this big stand. And we would invited the kids, if they felt so moved, they could come up and they could spend some time right up close. We had a cloth that hung down sort of like a hem of the garment. Mm-hmm. So we read the, the story of the woman with the hemorrhage who just reaches yeah. through the crowd to touch the hem of Jesus' garment. And she's healed miraculously. And I'm watching as these kids come up to touch the garment mm-hmm. to touch that that cloth that was hanging down from the monstrance and as they they pause and they're praying some of them are praying for somebody back. that's come awesome on. oh it's powerful that's awesome. so powerful and i'm just watching them come up i'm i'm off to the side um praying for them and i'm watching as as this is all happening and it's the most amazing thing when you realize that there's this hunger for the eucharist this desire to be close to god that even teenagers have. And so often we, we keep them away from stuff like Eucharistic adoration. This, right. is, a, this is a big uh, bugaboo for me. I really want to say that, that our high school students and, and even younger kids, yeah. like we should introduce them to Eucharistic adoration and give them that chance for silence, give yes. them that chance to come close to Jesus. So I'm watching as, as these kids are, are coming up and I see this girl get up and go over and she kneels down and she's, she's praying. She's holding onto the, onto the garment. Um, and we're coming up now on an hour of adoration. And these kids haven't moved. Like they're just they're they're right there. But we've got to we've got to shift gears and like it's coming up on lights out time. We gotta get the kids to bed right. also. So I talked to the camp director and, and we decided all right, what we can do is we can leave the blessed sacrament exposed for another hour. And then uh that way people can leave. So I explained how to leave if you're leaving a chapel, if you're leaving the presence of the blessed sacrament, how to do so reverently without disturbing people. And I would say there, there must have been like nearly half of the kids and their adult chaperones stayed. A whole bunch left, which is fine. We were yeah. we were giving them that that chance to step away. Um, and then gradually over the course of the next hour, the the crowd got smaller. And mm-hmm. so I came in and there was uh, one of the Uh, Youth ministers was in there, one of the adults, um, and maybe two other kids. And this girl who had come up to me with questions and had asked me to pray for her and told me that all she wanted was to get closer to Jesus. And she's sitting directly in front of the monstrance and she's just staring up at Jesus in the Eucharist. Unreal. And I had kind of whispered, all right, I'm going to take the blessed sacrament now. It's time to, for everybody to go. Mm-hmm. Like this is where we're gonna end, because that's what you do. You, you at some point you you end. Yeah, you know we had to we had to do it. So I felt bad. Because, you don't stay on the
0: mountaintops. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I felt bad because here's this girl just lost in prayer, and I realized that she was like not aware that I was present. Wow. She was in a different place. I I can't explain it, but she was in a different place as she was as she was sitting there praying. She wasn't asleep. It was very much awake. Right. And I took the blessed sacrament. She did not move. She was kneeling at this point. She's like on her knees, but just in a completely different place. Wow. Eyes wide open, um, but so clearly lost in prayer. Wow. That it was like she wasn't aware of her surroundings at all. And so I was really curious about this because I could see it happening, but I didn't fully know what was going on. Mm-hmm. So the next day uh, before mass, she comes, like, running over to me. I've just got my coffee. Um, it's, like, maybe maybe 5.45 in the morning. Wow. And I'm on my way over to make sure that everything's moving okay for with, with the kitchen staff. Right. And she's out, like, she was waiting. She wanted to tell me what happened to adoration. Right. She comes running over. And he goes, it was like I was just sitting with him the whole time. I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what <laughs> yeah, you were yeah. doing. You and were? She, she didn't mean it, like in the literal sense that right. I meant it like yeah you were you were literally sitting on the right. ground and Jesus was there in the Eucharist she meant it like she felt as though she was sitting next to him and like leaning her head on his shoulder wow that was the closeness that she experienced in in adoration right and it was one of those moments of when we when we give people the chance when we give them the opportunity and when we kind of challenge them to something spiritual yeah they'll take that challenge they'll say yes to it so it's like the glory story of seeing somebody else have the experience with God, mm-hmm. encountering the Lord and seeing how they were responding, which is beautiful. Mm-hmm. It was also the glory of of recognizing that in some small way my ministry contributed to that. Yeah. Helped that, aided that. Right. I praise God. Yeah. It was beautiful. And it was also the the glory of just realizing like he won. Like he won. That that's one more soul that he won over. In that moment, and there's this like this joy of like, Lord, you you got that one, yeah, yeah. All right, it's another one on the scoreboard for us. That, so you I
0: want to I want to pick your brain on that yeah. that exact phrase. Um, Christ doesn't lose, correct? So so, because I've had I've had students come up to me and say, "Can God lose?" and the answer is like, "No," you know. I mean. <laughs> this seems like an unfair question, but no, you know? Um, and then they say, well, like what if, uh, I, I, I'm i saying it with an attitude, I shouldn't, because it's, it's a good intellectual question. It's a difficulty yeah. for this kid. Well, what about a person that goes to hell? Isn't that a loss? Um, and you know what the truth is that I'm mocking it because I didn't know how to answer it.
1: Yeah. Um, so I'm hoping you can help me. I always think of our finitude. So I'm a limited creature. The, the glimpse that I get of God's plan is is so narrow and so small. I get this little tiny window where I get to see something of God's plan. And so when I see something like this happen, where here's a young woman who is experiencing God, who's recognizing Jesus present in the Eucharist, who's coming to a deeper appreciation of the faith and who wants, who desires this and who's taking steps where, where she's cooperating with the grace that God is giving. Like God is always pouring out grace. We never have to worry about that. Right. He is always p- and perpetually pouring out that grace. But here she is ready to cooperate with it, ready to take that, right. that next step. What I see there is I get a glimpse of what the victory looks like.
0: Right. You're calling it right. one more.
1: But that's because it's in, one more that you see. Exactly. Right. Exactly. It's one more that I see. In In other situations, I don't get to see it. Right. So, you know, imagine that you're, you're you're the chaplain at a at a Catholic high school. Let's say in Stamford, Connecticut, <laughs> and and you finish your term as as chaplain and and you you move to a new assignment. And one of your former students graduates uh, from high school and goes on to college and calls you while he's in college to say like I'm not really practicing the faith anymore. Yes. What do I do? I have all these questions. And then he comes to see you to talk it all through, and and he's really struggling and everything. And you go, okay, that can feel like a huge defeat. Right. A, a huge loss. And then like a few years later, he calls you and says, Hey, um, I, I'm going to host this podcast with you because <laughs> <Right? laughs> I came back to the Catholic faith, which is basically what happened to you. Right. Yeah. This is like, this is the thing. There are these, these places right. where we could feel that this is the defeat. But even in those in those places of feeling like it's the greatest defeat, we have to keep the perspective that I only have this much of God's plan that yeah. I can see. I've got, it is such I've a small got, window. Right.
0: I've got a sliver of a sliver. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's just...
1: Do you ever go to Disney World? I have been to Disney World, You remember World, the yes. 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea I ride? I don't. The great am sorry. About, no, it's okay. The great thing about 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea was that if you were standing outside the ride, you could see the submarines. Like they just, you got in so that basically what you could see was just below the surface of the water. Right. Um, You were not, in fact, underwater. Right. It's just that like they put you in the part of the ride that was underwater. underwater, Right. But the full depth of the water was maybe four feet.
0: Right. (laughs) Right. So
1: your experience was being underwater, 20,000 leagues under the sea. Right. Nothing about it was actually underwater. Right. But you're also looking through this little porthole. Right. And so everybody has a slightly different view right. while they're there. Everybody's got basically the same picture, but there's also this narrowness right. and a limitation to the, to the scope of what they can see. right. Uh, and, and when you have that limitation to what you can see, you might know that you're limited in what you're able to see. You might not know. Mm-hmm. If I know that I'm limited in what I can see, I can be angry and frustrated that I can't see more. Mm-hmm. I can be filled with a desire to see more. I want more. I'm looking for more. Or I can be filled with the motivation to try to meet that desire, which is both I recognize that I want to see more and I'm going to find a way to see more. Mm -hmm. If I.
0: And the seeing more, I think we, because we've talked about it in the past, the seeing more is about experiencing Jesus. It's not about experiencing, strictly speaking, glory stories. Right. Um, and 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 I've said it before. That was something that I was hung up on for a long time, mm-hmm. where I was looking for signs instead of Christ. Um, and I think the only reason I started experiencing signs, um, and I I'm fairly certain that I shared this as well, but I don't know. It might have happened afterwards. Uh, I started share. I started experiencing signs only after. Essentially, I went to confession and said, "I think this came from a lack of faith," and. My confessor said, <laughs> "My confessor said, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. Nope. Next time that happens, make an act of faith." And it was only after I began, you know, meeting that ma- that that because I don't think it's. I mean, it maybe it's a maybe it's like a crooked desire, but it's not even a really a crooked desire in the in a sinful way, perhaps. You know, like like I I wanted to experience signs because. I knew there were so many signs in scripture that I was like, I really believe this. And I believe that all of this th- these things still exist. And I want to be a part of it.
1: What do you notice about the signs that are experienced in scripture though?
0: They're always followed by someone coming to faith.
1: And But what else?
0: Um, I don't know. What am I missing?
1: With the exception of like Gideon, most of the signs are... Are given without somebody asking for them. Mm. Even the signs that are 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 given, and this will be the sign to you. Right. It's not because the sign that is that is being given uh, was asked for. So the shepherds, keeping watch over their flocks by night in the field, are approached by the angels, uh, who tell them to go to Bethlehem, because tonight is born a Savior who is Christ and Lord. And they're like, okay.
0: And it's this amazing. will be the
1: sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. That's the sign. Right. They're told to look for that sign, but they didn't say how are we supposed to know? I mean, well, one of them
0: did, right? Uh, Zechariah did, right? No, the shepherds. Zachari- no, the
1: shepherds in the field.
0: No, no, but I'm saying, like, I, you're right. I'm, I'm bringing it to an to an yeah. extent, extension mm-hmm. of it. Mary says. Um, Mary says, "How can this be? How can this be? Since I have
1: no relations." Zechariah says,
0: "Is it Zechariah? Am I saying the wrong yeah, name?" So Z- yeah.
1: So Zechariah, his his question about the birth of his son John the Baptist—it's doubt. It's doubt, right? But even John, even even Zechariah doesn't ask, "Prove it. Give me a sign mm. that's going to prove this." He simply doubts. Right? I was
0: like, I was like, did I somehow get his name wrong? No.
1: The, in, but in, in like the story of Gideon, right. Gideon says, uh, "If if this is what you want, then." Uh, I'm going to lay this fleece here on the ground. Uh, let it be soaked with dew, but the grass all around it be dry in the morning. And then the next day, he goes okay. Let let's switch that around. Let the grass be wet with dew, but the the fleece perfectly dry. And the next day, it's perfectly dry. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's asking for a sign mm-hmm. as as the proof of what God has promised. But in general, most of those most of the moments where there, where a sign is given, it, it's given without the person seeking it out. When we go seeking the signs you know, if, if, we're, if, we're, if we're too gung ho or if we're too like focused in on, on the sign itself, uh, unfortunately we might see it, but we might not actually be seeing a real uh, sign. We, we might just be, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Right. I so desperately want to see this that I go and I, I see it, even though it's not actually what God desired right. for me.
0: Wow, I've never, I've never heard of it that way. Yeah, I've never thought of it like that.
1: Yeah, so it's, it's, it's more right? like receive what, what is given And, and recognize where God is present. This is where reflection comes in. You know, we've talked about that before that it's so important to be able to reflect on our experiences and to, and to recognize these things. And sometimes it's a reflection in the moment or in the immediate aftermath. Right. Sometimes you don't realize things until years later. Right. You know, oh, in that moment, this is what was happening.
0: Right. Right.
1: And, and how powerful, you know, um, and then there's those moments too, where you just realize like, who the heck am I?
0: I know. Cause that's the other thing. It's like, there is this, I, I think our, our littleness, you know, when you finally recognize how small you are. And I don't mean that in, in like, God loves you so much. It's crazy. You know what I mean? Like you don't even know the extent to which God loves you, but that right. doesn't change the fact that you are small. Right. You know? And it shows how, abundantly gracious he is, that you are so small and he loves you so much. Like the gap between me and God is infinite. I couldn't be smaller and he died for me.
1: For as infinite as that gap between you and God and me and God is, God makes that gap very, very small. Yeah. And in fact, he makes it no gap at all. Right. Right. He just steps into it.
0: Right. And, and well, I, when you said that, actually, what I thought was like, he makes it so small that I consume him. You know what I mean? Like, like that is how intimate it is. No,
1: that, but that's, that's exactly right. And that's why, that's why the Eucharist is such a powerful place for that encounter. Right. And that's why so many, so many of, if I'm going to tell you a glory story, one of those moments where you realize God is close so many of them for me are rooted in the Eucharist. Really? Because I think that's- you know
0: what I mean. I'm thinking about it, and a lot of like me too.
1: Yeah, where have you experienced the closeness of God the most? It's probably been either in the reception of Holy Communion, or in a moment in adoration, or sitting in front of the tabernacle. Like most of them happen that way. There are other places where where All you right. have these where you have these moments, or like just this wind blows where it will. Yeah, you know what I mean. There, there are going to be other moments in other in other places, but there right. are. There are so many of those kinds of stories. And then there's also the, the the little moments where you find out that somehow something that you did brought someone closer to God. Yeah. But I've also learned sometimes it's the stories of the things that you've done that didn't bring people closer to God that become a source of glory for you, like not for your glorification. But like I find out that something that I said was, was hurtful to somebody um, or that I'm I'm really in need of of offering an apology here. It is necessary for me to to go and and ask for forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Well, that becomes a way that God is working in my life to bring me to greater humility, mm-hmm. to help me to recognize my my own unworthiness, to break down my pride and all the other stuff. Right. Because that's all there. I, mean, I, I wish it wasn't. Don't yeah, get me yeah. wrong. I, yeah, yeah. I, I wish I had no pride. I wish that I had no no selfishness or anything like that, but I, it's, I do. It's all there. Mm. But sometimes even in those moments of, of feeling like utterly a failure, God wants to show me that even through this failure, he, he wants to work. And that can actually become a great glory story, a, a place where you realize, you know, in spite of me, God is still at work. Right. In spite of my weakness. Yeah. It, yeah, since, definitely. Since I give homilies on the regular, uh, <laughs> I have I have many times been told that uh something that I said in the homily was was very important for somebody, was mm-hmm. especially touching, especially moving, especially helpful for them. Um and I have had them I've had people tell me that on days when I couldn't tell you what I preached about by the time I finished the homily. Right. Where like words were coming out. I don't know what they are. Right. On days where I felt like it was my worst homily, like the absolute I've, I've worst thing I've ever said. That's the sign
0: of a charism.
1: Yeah, well, I've, I've I've had it where I've I've said like nothing. As far as I can tell, that was the worst homily I've ever given, and that's the one that people comment on. And then I've had the days where I'm like. Probably the best homily I've ever given in my life. It's probably the most profound thing any of these people in this church have ever heard in their life, and nobody says a word to me about it. Right. (laughs) I've also had, and this is my absolute favorite, and I think every priest has experienced this at some point, uh, standing at the side door of the church. When you're at the side door, that usually means that you were not the priest who said mass,
0: Mm.
1: right? But there I am standing at the side door, and somebody comes out and says, nice homily today, Father. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) you didn't hear me give a homily today I but didn't do it thank you anyway <laughs> right you know, I've had that happen many times too I'm like thank you okay and, and you we're just go, all here together yep we are here they liked the homily right uh and they they are so detached from the person who gave the homily that's right and actually that's kind of the beauty of it too right like who said that mass a priest right that's the beauty of it like and that's actually kind of the beauty of going to any mass. Yeah. If you think about this, like, this is my my friend Father John and I. If, if we have the chance to to travel together, we will will make it a point to go to mass. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition to we we say mass together every day, mm-hmm. but especially on, on Sunday, if we're traveling, we'll make it a point to attend a mass. Somewhere. Really, uh, we did. We started doing this a couple of years ago um, because we're like we never have the chance to go to mass. Mm-hmm. And it's a good reminder. Right. It's a good reminder of what it's like for people in the pew to be there, to attend mass, to pray. Right. um, And to just like kind of get back into that. Yeah, yeah. So there we are uh, attending, attending mass. And and I realized like, I could not tell you the name of any of the priests who have celebrated the masses that I've attended. Right. No idea who they are. Yeah, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter, it's a priest. When I have guests coming into the church, people who are, are from other parishes or other states, family members or something like that who are visiting, I realized they will not remember my name. And that's kind of glorious. Yeah. You know, there's a beauty in that. So that's where I find the glory stories.
0: You know? Yeah. Yeah. And it should be that way.
1: I, know, that, I, that's not to discount miracles. That's nor is that to, to suggest that we shouldn't be, be asking God for those miracles. Um, it's just that I, mean, I think we I've have to be before. able to find the glory in other places.
0: Cause I've, I've heard before That's like, I mean, earlier today, we were talking about how interested I am in the beginning of the charismatic renewal. Yeah. I mean, I think like if I were being charitable to myself instead of being hard on myself, which is easily the thing you end up doing, right? If I'm being charitable to myself, it's that I am interested in the charismatic renewal because like I want to see God's awesome power, Mm -hmm. right? Glory is the manifestation of God's awesome presence. That's what glory is, right? So I want to see that glory, you know what I mean? Because I love the Lord and I want to encounter him and I want to encounter him in ways that I haven't yet. You know what I mean? And I, th- to be honest with you, like the amount of times and and maybe maybe the Lord has allowed it not to happen because he's pushing me, right? He's like helping me grow. But the amount of times that I have said like, Lord, if you just let me see someone's broken arm healed, like evangelism would be a lot easier. <laughs> like I would tell people about that and they'd be like, you saw that? And I would be like, yes, yeah, yes.
1: Well, think about it like this. Moses, by the time he saw the burning bush and heard the voice of God speaking to him out of the burning bush, yeah, was probably in his forties.
0: If not older, right?
1: Yeah. And then he took Israel- and over the course of time, yeah. it, it was not a, 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 a quick process. The seven plagues that, that afflicted Egypt w- were not like uh, just done over For us, it's sentences. Right. For him,
0: it's at least days.
1: Yeah. At least days, if not weeks and months. Right. Possibly even, I'd have to go back and do the research. But in any case, he finally gets Israel out and then he sees, again- A big chunk of time between the burning bush and extending his hand over the water and the Red Sea parting. And then it's another big chunk of time before he's called up Mount Sinai Mm -hmm. to receive the commandments. It's another big chunk of time before the pillar of fire and the pillar of smoke that leads them through through the desert. And then it's 40 years in the desert. Right. Without necessarily seeing any manifestation of God's presence. And isn't it amazing? Well, there's a manna, I guess. The, yeah. But it's like that but, becomes, but how that becomes we the ordinary. Write,
0: how easily we write off God's power. Right. And his, his providence and his gifts but and his.
1: How easily we also write off the ordinary daily task. Right. Every day they had to go out and gather up the manna. Right. Right. And it's only after a long time with the manna that they complain and want quail. And so Moses has to go and ask God for quail. And then. God See gives that's them, interesting right? because I, I God guess gives them the I didn't meat. read close enough. Yeah,
0: because I mean I, I mean I've learned to read scripture slowly, and it's taken time
1: uh, to it. have to learn that. Time slowly, yeah, that's, that's right. It. Okay, um, just, but just but, want to explain the joke. <laughs> Thanks. We've
0: been <laughs> high fiving during podcasts more, and they're usually bad high fives because we're
1: too far away from
0: each other. And also, I got a cast on. What is that but about? Come on now. You didn't? I didn't tell you the story. No. I didn't, I was moving an industrial sized bread mixer and I overextended my wrist
1: because <laughs> <laughs> this thing was like 600 Why pounds. wouldn't you be moving an industrial sized bread mixer? I love my mixer. father-in-law
0: to death. I love the guy. <laughs> just,
1: I really I love, love, love bread. Love the
0: but the, the, what I was thinking when we were talking about time, because that's what the important piece of this episode is, right? Um, is how easily I forget week to week. Yeah. year to year what god has done and how judgmental i have been of the israelites and i am one of them you mm-hmm. know what i mean metaphorically speaking i grew up in connecticut but but frankly you know what i mean like how quick i am to write off the lord's manifestation of himself yeah grace
1: yeah, and, and not just to, to write off the manifestation, but how, how quick we are to neglect the, the daily. Right. Right. That every day God led the Israelites by that pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud. Every day God rained down the manna from heaven for them to right. eat. Every day he was doing this. There wasn't a daily manifestation of some great power. These were the ordinary ways in which God was present to his people. I don't know, pillar of fire. Is- It's, I mean, it's, it's, it seems pretty extraordinary, right? But then again, when it's something that you see every day for 40 years, you get used to it. Yeah. It becomes, it becomes part of your natural landscape in the same way that. What am I missing, do you think? You
0: know what I mean? Well, I I think it's the Eucharist.
1: It's the broad appreciation. You know what I mean? of, Of the fact that God wants to be present to us. That, in fact, relationship is, is not extraordinary. Relationship is our natural. It's, it's the way that God created us. He created us for relationship. Yeah. And relationship becomes something that we're accustomed to. It becomes something that's normal. It becomes a, a normal part of our life because that's what we're made for. Um, when we focus only on the big glory story, especially, you know, those scriptural stories of something amazing happening, we can get caught up in thinking that, yeah, it's, it's always going to be that way. And we can forget some of the other things that are really important that go along with it, but that God is so present in the ordinary circumstances and the daily circumstances. When we become more aware of how God is present in the daily and ordinary circumstances, then when there's the big manifestation of his glory, we're, we're actually more prone to notice it.
0: Yeah. When we were talking to father Boniface Hicks, this is what he kept talking about. He kept talking about relationship and how that was the key. Um, and I think that's where you're heading there. Yeah, it's exactly it. Yeah. You know?
1: it's all it's all about relationships. I
0: think that somebody something that really brings
1: this to the forefront. Have you ever watched Chosen? Everybody always asks that, and I feel really guilty because I've only seen like three episodes. Do you like it or you dislike it? I liked it very much. Okay. okay. W- what I saw, I liked very very much. Yeah. Um, I, it's it's not been a question of disliking. It's entirely a question of time.
0: Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. I think I think it. I mean, listen, like just like anything else, there are questionable things, I guess. You know what I mean? Um, but altogether, it is fantastic. I think you yeah. know, and I mean, Renee really loves it as well. Um, and it it really it's 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 very inviting. Like, I am not one. Actually, I was going to say I'm not one who gets super emotional with TV shows, but that's just not true. I do get emotional with T V shows. But but I have I have Who cries <laughs> at
1: Hershey commercials, kids.
0: <laughs> I'm trying to think the last thing that I I got I got,
1: he got emoti- all misty eyed pre Sun misti- commercial. It wasn't
0: misty-eyed, but I got like exhilarated watching the great British baking show. Have you ever watched that? I have not. It was fantastic. I got exhilarated. I was like, this is so cool. He he had baked a great cake. Um but the point is that. You know the chosen I think is a very good example of 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 media that like I don't know invites you into recognizing Christ in the daily because because we we are tempted to overly spiritualize and see Jesus as this big you know really we it's really it's that we forget Christ's humanity,
1: yeah, there's also the fear I think sometimes that if we if we recognize Jesus in the daily. We're going to make Jesus routine, right? Well, but um, I do. I think we do. But th- that's just it. There's supposed to be a balance, right? Yeah, we have to have a routine of spiritual life, right? We we it have has to, to be daily. We we require a routine, right? We need that daily contact. Yes. The fact of daily contact does not therefore mean that it is routine in the sense of this is this is normal, uh, this is this is nothing important, right? But rather, it means that by means of this routine, normal approach, I'm going to encounter what's what's really happening, and encounter the the God who is present here. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Thanks, man.
0: Yeah, it's, it's fun. It, it my pleasure. We're having fun, dude. <laughs> All right. Hey, it's great. For to the see tangent, you. I'm Matt Spraza.
1: I forgot my name. <laughs> I was never given a name. I was never born. <laughs> I'm Father Sam Pachuba.
0: See you next time. God bless
1: you.
0: (laughs) Hey, everybody. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to further support The Tangent, please consider subscribing or following on your preferred platform, following us at the tangent underscore Catholic on Instagram, or even donating at VeritasCatholic.com. See you next time. God bless.